Hey there, podcast listeners, and welcome to this week's Physics Central podcast. I'm Mike Lucibella. I would have loved to have been around the Corning Glass Company's research labs a few months ago. People were, like, literally running around the hallways, you know, <laughs> trying to tell somebody else, you won't believe what we just found. This is Douglas Allen, a researcher at Corning and co-author of a recent article in Physical Review Letters. I've worked for Corning for 28 years. Seeing results like this is not a thing that you get to have, you know, every day of the week. What was so exciting? A piece of glass, about a meter square, shrank about one one-hundredth of a millimeter after sitting on a table for almost a year and a half. And it's a really small length change. I need to emphasize that. I mean, this is... This is a thing that you have to work really hard to be able to even see the effect at all. It might seem like a lot of fuss over a very little effect, but it's kind of a big deal. It's the first time anyone has seen a detectable change in a silicate glass sitting around at room temperatures. Uh, Silicate glasses are like the glass in your windows. They're mostly made up of silicon. The team looked at a type of Corning's Gorilla Glass, a durable kind of glass used to make most screens of MP3 players, laptops, and smartphones. Now, figuring out what made it shrink, though... That gets into this really interesting, complex question of what exactly is glass and what makes something a solid? I mean, I would certainly say a glass is a solid because if you take a big piece of glass and drop it on your foot, you know bloody well that it's like dropping a rock on your foot, you know, so it's totally a solid. So to say it's not a solid would be silly. Seems simple enough. But the more you start talking about what kind of a solid is it, well, it's a little tricky because it's a solid for people who live on the time scale that people live, you know, a normal, ordinary human lifetime. If you had enough patience and you could wait, let's say, the age of the universe, that same block of glass might look like it's flowing, because it is flowing really, really slow. There's this urban legend that you can see this effect in old cathedral stained glass windows. Supposedly, hundreds of years of the pull of gravity made each pane thicker at the bottom than at the top. But there's always been some holes to this theory. Like, why didn't that same flow cause finely tuned lenses from the same time period to be out of whack now? Now, it is a fact that at room temperature, like, let's say, for a a cathedral window or something like that, or even, you know, the hottest day you can imagine for that same cathedral window, um, the rate of flow um, is a thing that we can actually estimate, and it's much, much slower than would be consistent with uh, those glasses getting fatter at the bottom. In 1998, researchers first developed ways to accurately calculate the viscosity of a glass, or how easily it flows, based on its molecular structure and its temperature. And what about all those old cathedral windows? Well, in the Middle Ages, it was really hard to get glass perfectly even, and the artisans of the day would just place the thicker ends at the bottom. And people have found plenty of panes that are thicker on the top or the sides since they started looking for them. So my first thought on reading Douglas's paper was maybe we've finally seen this silicate glass flowing like a really viscous peanut butter. So I would say it would be wrong to call it viscous flow because when we do our estimated level or value of viscosity at room temperature for this glass, um, it is inconsistent with the notion that the thing is flowing viscously. And what we estimated was that the time scale of flow for this particular glass was something like 19,000 years, whereas in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, we're actually seeing effects. Wow. Douglas would have had to start the experiment at the end of the Stone Age to maybe start getting results today. And there were other reasons, too, to believe that what the researchers were seeing wasn't the result of a slowly flowing liquid. It's lying flat on a table. I mean, flow wouldn't necessarily make it shrink. There'd be no driving force. It's not like we're holding it vertically like the cathedral panes or something like that. It's literally lying on a table. 
So, I mean, if it flows, you might think it actually would expand instead of shrinking. To figure out what's really going on means understanding what's happening at the molecular level. When water freezes from a liquid to a solid, it undergoes a phase transition. As a liquid, its molecules are flowing freely, moving all over the place, and are completely disorganized. When it freezes, the atoms and molecules crystallize by organizing themselves into a latticework of repeating patterns. That forms at one distinct temperature in a kind of abrupt um, uh, phase transition. And now the atoms have rearranged themselves into this relatively simple periodic structure. That doesn't happen in a glass when it solidifies. There's no single point where the molecules arrange themselves. They stay disorganized, and there's no repeating patterns or crystals. Instead of a freezing temperature, they have a glass transition temperature. It is a temperature at which the viscosity of the glass increases so extraordinarily that any sensible ability for the glass to flow or move is is essentially arrested. The viscosity goes through the roof, and the atoms just can't move anymore, and so they get stuck. And, And it sounds a little bit vague because it's difficult to define what I just described as being only a single temperature. Gorilla glass is a glass transition temperature of about 620 degrees Celsius. And you can expect a little bit of settling down, down to about 500 degrees, but at room temperature, those molecules should be locked in place tight. Now, as it turns out, Douglas's gorilla glass has a lot of two specific elements in it, sodium and potassium. If you pull out your old periodic table of the elements, you'll see sodium and potassium are both in the second column from the left. They're alkali metals, a family of elements that are very reactive. And this is the key, probably. I cannot tell you exactly how the atoms are moving around to produce a net shrinkage of the glass. But he does have a theory. What is likely happening is atoms of the two elements are somehow working their way through the glass and reacting with strained molecular bonds. They find places where two molecules are further apart than where they'd ideally like to be and snaps them closer together. Now, when this happens a lot over the course of a year, the whole piece of glass shrinks just a little bit. And it's these two elements that are the key. We also looked at a glass that has only one of the two alkalis, which is a different uh, version of, um, of Gorilla Glass. And, um, and that glass did not show this relaxation effect. And we also looked at a non-alkali glass, which is one of our display glasses, Eagle XG, and we did not see the shrinkage effect. So we only saw it in the glass that contained both alkali atoms at the same time. Of course, right now, more research needs to be done to confirm whether or not these atoms are jumping around like this, but it's a promising start. As usual, this raises as many questions as it answers, and so now we need to think harder about, you know, the thing that we don't understand yet, what are the atoms actually doing? I mean, how can we understand what they're actually doing to allow this thing to happen? That's all for this week's Physics Central podcast. You can find more of our podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and so much more at www.physicscentral.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.